Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, a podcast about reminiscing of Halloween's long past. Here is my host, uh, as always, Kayla St. Ange. Hi. And I am your host, Tyler Hannon. I am very much not out of practice on hosting, and we are very much not later than expected on our Salem Halloween check-in. Listen. No. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done anything wrong in my life. Oh, I didn't say there was anything wrong. I'm just saying it's possible. Um, I think usually you record Halloween episodes 10 days into November. I don't I needed, we needed some time to digest, you know, <laughs> and really come in with like the best takes possible. Yeah. And, and really add some nostalgia to yeah. the, to the wistfulness we have for those days long past. It definitely didn't have anything to do with terrible work schedules, me getting like an actual life threatening illness or Tyler having a crazy report or me getting engaged or any of those things. None of those things. It was only to digest. Yes. So that's the recap. Sorry we're late. <laughs> Besides, if you look at my apartment around us, uh, you might think it's still Halloween. So None of you can see it, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. I sent a video to my family. They made fun of me. <laughs> um, well, that's just rude. And that's just what we do. It's fine. Well, Kayla, so we're going to have kind of two major segments. Uh, we're going to start with kind of a recap of our mm-hmm. trip to Salem Horror Fest in early October. And then after that, at some point, that'll be time stamped in the notes. We're just kind of go going to go over some other movies we watched in the Halloween season that really stuck with us. And you know what? They're good year round. Yes. But first, first, we want to thank all of our newly minted patrons on Patreon. Mm-hmm. You guys are the real MVPs. I'm sorry that you immediately gave us money and then we immediately failed to deliver. <laughs> we didn't fail to deliver. We're delivering we had now. Pre-recorded. The previous month's episode. It's true. So, yeah, we pre-recorded it because you were away, off gallivanting about the globe. Yeah. So thank you to Mary McCormish, Kyle Taggart, Raul Mendoza, and Landon DeFever. You're our best friends now. Yeah, you guys rule. Um, Landon has also the distinct honor of being our first $10 patron, which means that he will get to select... A movie, which I believe, according to Tyler, he has already done. Yes. So we'll be recording that as our actual November episode two weeks from now to put out before the end of the month. And then we'll be back on schedule. I'm just going to take down a note. Two weeks from now, end of the month. Kayla promises. (laughs) Or else, underline, underline. (laughs) Kayla makes blood oath. I'm about to get a second job, so it's about to be real, real weird podcasting recording hours again. It'll be fine. We're going to do it in the car, (laughs) in the parking lot of my second job. Well, I mean, we'll have extra impetus because we'll have, we'll want to do a recently watched on Knives Out. That is true. Which we're seeing. Early. In the next two weeks. Yes. So... But Kayla, let's uh, let's stop prevaricating and uh, bowing down before our great overlord patrons, <laughs> and get into the meat of the episode, which is from the East Coast. You know, it's a uh, salty and uh, seaside. I don't know what this is, Kayla Salem. Yeah, so Salem Horror Fest was a great time. Big fan. Before we get into us. Talking about Salem, post-Salem. Post-Salem. We do have a special treat that Tyler can just sprinkle in here. Drop on in. Drop it right in. Um, We did actually record audio in the car as we were Mm. driving to Salem, which we thought we were going to do more than one time, but we ended up only doing it one time. So 
Because we're doing so many fun things that we're going to talk about now. Yeah, we did way too much stuff. So before we get into all of that, just going to leave you hanging there for just a second. And let's get into what Kayla, Tyler, Ben, Colin, and I think Maddie maybe laughs once on the recording, all thought going into Salem Horror Fest. Do it. Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Phones In, a movie podcast coming to you live from the road. I'm your host, Kayla St. Ange. Joining me as always is my co-host, Tyler Hannon. I'm here. And we also have with us in the car special <laughs> guests, uh, boyfriend Ben, uh, who, hasn't decided, <laughs> yeah, uh, who hasn't decided whether or not he I actually wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> he also doesn't understand that we can't talk over each other on the recording because it sounds bad in post. <laughs> uh, we have uh, my brother, Colin, uh, number one coolest person alive. <laughs> Coolin, <laughs> as we like to call him. Yeah, that's what all my friends call me. Uh, and then we also have Maddie Dark. <laughs> Um, Moody, I guess is what we're calling her. That's my brother's girlfriend. Moody and Moody. Together we are Coolin and Moody. Yeah, so just to recap, we have Kayla, Tyler, Coolin, Moody, and boyfriend Ben. That's everyone. Uh, we are currently... July from a 2014 Toyota. Ready to party. Yeah, we are uh, currently on our way to Salem Horror Fest. We're a couple days early because we're doing some other fun stuff on the way. It's uh, around noon. We've been on the road for five and a half hours already. The conditions are fair. Humidity is in the high 60 percentile. Yeah. Um, we're recording a podcast. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's true. Um, I've child-locked Ben's window. From uh, from opening the window while we record, they're changing, guys. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, so because there's literally no structure to this because we've never recorded a podcast on the road, um, I'm going to tell you guys about some movies that I watched on the plane recently. Because as you may recall from our September episode, I have been on planes pretty much eternally since the end, end of, of August. End of, end of what? The Bart. Oh You've yeah, been on the Bart. I was on the Bart in San Francisco for one time, and I almost got stabbed. So wait, tell the getting stabbed story. Uh, okay, I guess we'll start with the getting stabbed story. So the Bart in San Francisco is like it's a half subway, half above ground rail. The part that we took was the underground because what happened was that the day before my colleagues and I went to the Golden Gate Bridge and because we were staying in the middle of fucking nowhere Ingleside it was a $60 Uber back from there to our Airbnb which I didn't care because my job was paying for it with our company Uber account but my boss had different ideas and was like oh no we spent too much money on the company Uber we should take the BART tomorrow because it's only like $3 and uh, my other coworker and I were not a fan of this, but we went along with it because he's technically in charge. <laughs> so we get on the BART, and first of all, it took fucking forever. It would have literally been way faster to just take an Uber. And we're on there, and first of all, we missed, like, there's construction or something. So we missed, like, as we were getting up to the platform, the train, and had to wait 17 minutes for the next one. And then we were finally on it, and then there were like construction delays along the rails, so we were just stopped at one random station for like another 15 minutes. And while we were stuck at this station, a man who I must assume was homeless and I think drunk, he was drinking out of a soda bottle that was like 
questionable. <laughs> um, was just he sat down. We were all standing up, holding onto the railing, and he sits down behind us, and he's kind of muttering to himself. And I'm like, whatever. I'm not like I don't need to pay attention to this. It's fine. <laughs> and then I hear him go, you know, man. Everybody freaks out when you pull out a knife, but really nothing is better than when you pull out a knife. And so um, I immediately went into flight or fight mode and was just <laughs> gripping the rail while we're just stuck here at a complete standstill. And my other coworker, who's who's also a girl, is just like making like worried eye contact with me. And uh, my male coworker is completely oblivious to all of this, heard none of it. And so this guy just keeps mumbling and he's like reaching into his like paper bag and talking about how he would just love to like pull out a knife and start stabbing people. And so the train finally starts again and the next stop is our stop and he's still just like mumbling away about his knife that he loves. He really loved his knife. And so the doors open at the next stop and my Charlotte and I just book it off the train like almost full on running. And like Dave catches up with us a couple minutes later and he's like, why are you guys are really fast? What's going on in Charlotte? It's like, I don't want to get stabbed today. <laughs> and so we like explained to him and this guy's like still behind us. And so I'm just like sprinting up the escalator, like <laughs> trying to get away from this guy and his knife. And yeah, so that was my experience with public transfer transit in San Francisco. And we took an Uber the rest of the time. And I told Dave he could go fuck himself if he wanted to take the card again. Kayla, famously an opponent of all public transportation. Um, here's the thing. Nothing bad's ever happened to me on a New York subway. San Francisco is just a nightmare place that I kind of don't like. So, do San Francisco listeners? I'm not sure, actually. I know we have L.A. listeners, but that's different. <laughs> L.A. That's where yeah. my clients yeah. yeah. Well, I say that on the podcast all the time. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, I've been on a plane a lot recently. And I put together some real great, like, on-brand Kayla double features. So um, I'll talk about that in a minute because I just told an entire story about the train. Tyler, have you watched anything recently? I watched the first episode of the new Creepshow TV series. How was that? I enjoyed it. The first story was like kind of fine, uh, like you know, gooey and okay, but yeah, it was gooey. Uh, it's gray matter. Uh, but the the second uh, story of the episode was really fun and clever. It was basically like a girl's giant ass dollhouse gets haunted, and like so like the fake. Like, when she's not looking, the figures are moving on their own, and she's, like, kind of watching this horror story play out with her dolls in her dollhouse. Sounds like hereditary? Kind of. It was, it was, I found it pretty clever, and I quite enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to more creep show. Uh, you know, Shudder. Mystery A streaming service. <laughs> not a sponsor we talk of about us. a lot. Not a sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe, maybe someday. Yeah. So I watched that, and then I used the uh, free library streaming service Hoopla, <laughs> the non-canopy, to watch the Long Hair of Death, which is, <laughs> which it, it does. It's not as weird as the title makes it sound. It's basically just like, like for the 1960, a Barbara Steele gothic witchery horror story in a castle, and it, it's fine. It's, it's fine. Glowing endorsement. It's basically like, well, it's just like you like have the vampy ladies in, in this black and white, you know, gothic castle. 
be accused of witch stuff, and then there's just a dude who's terrible, and you just kind of watch him be terrible <laughs> for 60 minutes, and then, you know, his comeuppance finally hits, and it's it's fine, but you still have to spend 60 minutes just, like, watching this dude be shitty it's and like earning his comeuppance. <laughs> you guys seen that one before. <laughs> Anyone else have a movie that they want to talk about on the mic? Jumanji. What? <laughs> Jumanji's a movie. Yeah. Okay. Then do you want to... remember the last Rampage, Skyscraper. Okay, a movie that you watched recently, not just a dumb movie. <laughs> those, are, those are not mutually exclusive. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we pulled the audience. <laughs> so, yeah. So... The audience has been playing video games. Uh, we surveyed three. No, no, we, all, we, all, <laughs> no, we all just watched between two yeah. films the documentary the movie. Oh, did you really? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't watch it. No, oh, it was uh, just as good as Between Two Ferns, the YouTube segment. <laughs> TV show? It was pretty mediocre. It was watchable. It was just on. Um. It's, uh, it's <laughs> not really my type of humor. He ends with four ferns or three? So there's growth. <laughs> and he was wearing reading oh, glasses at the time that passed. <laughs> <time. laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers made a cameo. I, I know about that. Yeah, I did know about that. Yeah, and he doesn't make fun of her. Good. It's a heartfelt moment. No one should make fun of her. She's yes. the best. Yes. Is this a video game podcast or no? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I play video games sometimes, but that's <laughs> You what, can talk about a video game yeah, if you what want. What movie have you played? What movie have I played? Well, uh, Untitled Goose Game is pretty cool. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You just, uh, you star as a just mischievous goose who is just out to ruin the lives of humans in gather <laughs> world domination, I assume. I haven't been. Are you succeeded in, have you succeeded in ruining human lives, though? <laughs> as you steal their personal effects, though, you learn more about them as yeah. people, and you start to regret your mischief. Being a and just, you know, I, I don't know. And then you realize you the humans fall. are weak, so you call your mothership. Oh, we're coming up on a falling <laughs> rock morning. Guys, this is literally my favorite turn of the entire drive. I can't see mountain, Describe the turn of the This mountain is so cool. It's just see. like this sheer mountain face where a rock could fall and kill us at any time. It's great. Yeah. Beauty is terror. Driving through like Pennsylvania is just really so good. These, these corridors were actually made by just blowing them out and up with TNT. Yeah. So I like that part too. <laughs> I like the part where it was blown up once. I like where the science destroys things. Yeah. Yes, that is, yes. Okay. Like in Rampage. <laughs> Tied it together. Y'all ever seen Rampage? <laughs> yeah, so I've been on a plane a lot. Um, I'm on my way back from England. I put together maybe the most like Kayla double feature of all time. And on the way, uh, the first movie that I watched was Detective Pikachu, which I think we've maybe talked about in the podcast already before, but it's great. Love it. Need you to visualize me with like fox slippers on, cross slippies. fox slippies, cross-legged across two plane seats because I was blessed with my own row, um, with a pushing travel pillow, drinking a vodka cranberry, sobbing my eyes out <laughs> to Bulbasaur helping Because <laughs> I'm an adult. They didn't even card me. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were nervous. They were like, she's made her choices. <laughs> Uh, and then the second movie that I watched was uh, Vox Lux, which I I scrolled past it like three times on the Delta like movie carousel. Fuck you, watch this. And I was like, I, like I was like, I want to watch this movie, but like I don't know if Vox Lux is really a plain movie. 
But then I was also considering when I would ever just be trapped somewhere long enough that I'd be like, this is the best option and exactly what I should watch right now. And I have to be honest, like, Fox looks kind of Fox. Like, it's, a re it's like actually a really interesting movie. I don't think, like, it's entirely a great and cohesive movie, but I had a lot of fun watching it. My only, like, main question is that the entire first half of the movie is, like, like it's not Natalie Portman yet, but, like, the young version of Natalie Portman being, like, this most serious, like, analytical, like, ready to create her career, yada, yada, pop star baby after this, like, school shooting. And then when you get to the second half of the movie, she just has, like, this wild Jersey accent, and she's just, like, flouncing around all over, and there's just, like, not enough connection where I'm like, what happened? The school, the school shooting inspires yes, the, her to be a pop star? Well, it inspires her to write a song, which then makes her an overnight pop sensation, yes. And, like, there's just, like, not enough connective thread for me to understand the leap between, like, this incredibly serious, like, I don't know, career-oriented girl and this, like, New Jersey accented train wreck. Because she doesn't have a New Jersey accent in the first half of the movie. So I'm not sure if just, like, the young actress, like, couldn't do it or if they just, like, didn't know what to do or, like, I don't know. But overall, it was pretty good. The soundtrack is also awesome. Um, wow, okay, there's two semis doing some shit in front of us. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> almost crashing. Going 60. I think they're flirting I, I with each other. I have to go 60 because the car in front of me is going 60. Ben, are you for real right now? Well, you won't let me open them. Sounds to me like Vox <laughs> fucks. Maybe that's yeah, what happens. Vox fucks, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I heard Vox Vox well, she said Vox Lux Fox, and I just, you know, <laughs> naturally abbreviated it's, it a bit. It's good, yeah. Everybody's favorite movie. Yeah, it's good. Star is born backwards. Cool, okay, so this guy is gonna flash his fucking brain. Oh no, now we're gonna record our deaths. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a, whole way, there's a whole lane that he could have used to go around me, but he was like, I know, I'm gonna flash my brights instead because I'm in a Jeep. Oh, yeah. And I'm wearing a baseball cap. Oh, he's from fucking New York. Of course he is. Never mind. <laughs> I understand completely who this person is. Upstate, though. <laughs> yeah, because he's in a Jeep. <laughs> he's not oh, one of man. those New Yorkers. Look, <laughs> other New Yorkers. Well, there's New York City people, and then there's like upstate, like Rochester people. Whole I, different breed. Oh, you know what? I did watch Mission Impossible Fallout again when again. I was in New York City. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, they were like, hey, do you just want to like go back to the apartment and just like watch a movie? And like get some popcorn and stuff, and I thought that sounded great. Oh. And I looked up what it was new to streaming, and Mission Impossible Fallout was new to streaming. And I was like, hell yeah, let's watch Mission Impossible Fallout. And then we did that. Is that the one where And it was fucking great. It falls out of the building. Uh, the plane. That's like the most recent one where it's yeah. literally non stop, like Falling action out. thing. Henry yeah. Cavill punches. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that's how, like, uh, that's how uh, my friend Alicia asked one. She's like, that's the one where uh, Henry Ca Cavill, like, cocks his arms? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, cocks it is. His arms? Yes. Yeah. Arms <laughs> yes. It's a bit, little, just you know, a like, little bit of improv you know, he did. like, cocking a gun? He does that with his arms, and it's okay. great. It, like, it doesn't make any sense, but it's incredible. Ben, you've oh, seen the movie. Know. It's in the trailer. It's, like, the part where he's, like... Wait, so he's, oh, so he, like, briefly flexes his overarm for Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, uh, it's a great movie. The Gun Show. S still a great movie. Uh, <laughs> Tom, Cru Tom Cruise is a bad person, probably. Uh, 
Tom Cruise is definitely a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tom Cruise is definitely a bad maybe, person. Maybe you can explain this, Tyler. I keep seeing Mission Impossible movies on Amazon that I don't remember coming out in theaters. Uh, I mean, they definitely did come out in theaters if they were Mission Impossible seen, movies I starring Tom Cruise. I've seen like seven new ones. No. I mean, there are seven total. Are you thinking of just Jack Ryan movies, maybe? Like, no, I know the difference. There are movies that want to be Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's Mission Impossible 1, and there's Mission Impossible 2, and there's Mission Impossible 3, there's Mission Impossible 4. I could say the actual You're not titles. Even saying but the like, subtitles. I was like, that was would be. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, What's number three? Ghost Protocol. Wait, is uh, wait is, and 1 through 3 are just 1, 2, and 3. I'm right? pretty sure. They don't yeah. have any okay. subtitles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Colon 1. Wait, 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 let me see if I can guess okay. that. Okay. Because I've never seen any of them. Okay, so Mission. Okay, so 1, 2, and 3 are just 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. 4 is Ghost Protocol. Just yep. Go for it. 5 is. Rogue Nation. Yeah. Wow. Six. <laughs> should go. Six is. Six. Yeah, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> 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 What's number six? You got you it. Never say. Oh wait, hold on. Again. Oh wait, there might only be six. Because I was like, bad. if there, well, because if there's seven. My bad. There are oh, sorry. There are six of them. Okay, so <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was like, wait a minute. It's just those three. There's no seventh one. Mission Impossible: Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next one. <laughs> that would six. actually be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love like a Assassin's crossover. Creed. Actually, a uh, good movie. Decent movie? I had a good time I with enjoyed it. it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. The, uh, the CGI budget was robust. It was robust. <laughs> it was uh, too robust for the studio. They to gave handle. that guy a lot of money <laughs> to make that. Yeah, they gave the, the fucking a the dire Macbeth. Australian filmmaker who made like fucking Macbeth and the <laughs> Snowtown murders a big ass budget for a video game movie. Yeah, and Jake Gyllenhaal looks good without a shirt still. That's Prince of Persia. I was like, Jake Gyllenhaal's oh. not in that movie. Yeah, no, I'm thinking of Prince of Persia. Also, uh, I Prince mean, of Persia what you said is true. Yeah, but Prince of Persia came out in 2010. No, like, oh man, if, if that late. <laughs> so, Jake Gyllenhaal, I mean, I'm sure he does still look good without a shirt, but like... The Sands of Time are a plaster. <laughs> oh, that's right, they did make a sequel to that. <laughs> did, right? I think that's or is, no, there's no or is not it just called Prince no. of Persia, the Sands of the Time. The, the Sands, Prince of Persia, <laughs> Sands of Time. Is that, that's the name of the movie? Yeah. The it's game? the name of the first book game, too. Okay. It's like 12 cool. good strong horse boys. Yeah. <laughs> 12 strong horse boys. <laughs> They're making two more Mission Impossibles. Tom Cruise is going to die making a Mission Impossible. Honestly, that's uh, probably how he wants It's how he to wants go. to go. It's how he wants to go. It'll that that uh, that cut will make it into the movie uh, without a doubt. Him breaking his ankle made it to the movie. Him dying will make it so into the movie. His will that they can't, or his contract that they can't remove a scene if he dies. Yeah. Then they'll have to finish it with the stunt double, and the stunt double's like, "Oh man, I didn't think I had to do anything on this job." Like, I didn't want to do that. Oh man. See, he just replaces all the ammo with real bullets. Like, no. Speaking of people dying on film, my other uh, my other double feature on the way back from San Francisco was The Blair Witch Project and The Crow, because I was getting ready for Halloween, and halfway through The Crow, which by the way is ridiculous, but like in a fun way, because he's so dramatic, he just like comes back from the dead, paints his face, and then plays guitar on top of a building, which is like a big mood, like in between killing people, and I was kind of sitting there, and I was like trying to decide if I'm like allowed to dress up as the crow for Halloween because like I don't think in the in the comic books he's Asian it's but in a... the movie he's Asian so it's like maybe a gray area of that is like a Halloween costume I could do it's, it's which is kind of a, like which is kind of a bummer because Maybe it would be so easy because you just 
do a silly paint face with like goth makeup and wear all black and boots and be like halfway there just like with what I wear and then you could dress as Gene Simmons from Kiss yeah. is that, <laughs> so me, that me off the plane googling is it racist to dress up as the crow <laughs> no, <it's species. laughs> but yeah I don't know those are all the movies that I've watched recently oh after the two burns Colin and I watched Venom Oh, five-star oh, movie. Five-star movie. Yeah, we did. Fucking love it. Oh, Venom. Oh, my God. It's the only superhero movies Colin likes are Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Okay, but Venom is, like, a work of art. Like, yeah. absurdist camp humor. Yeah, yeah. I could not believe my eyes <laughs> when I saw what was happening on screen. I wish I could imitate Tom Hardy's accent, whatever it is. Sometimes love is just like a man and his yelling. alien parasite. Yeah. Sometimes a family is a man, his alien parasite, and his girlfriend, and they just all live together. So your favorite line, pussy. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just really want to sit down with the three of them now. <laughs> Janet, did you not buy toilet paper? <laughs> did you drink all my ginger ale, Hannah? bitch. <laughs> Parasite! <laughs> Venom! Don't call me that. Tis, tis, tis. <laughs> I don't know. We just, just quote the whole movie and start talking about it. I just, <laughs> I just love it. how ridiculous it is. And I love that Michelle Williams clearly has no idea what's going on <laughs> at any given moment. Yeah. But when you ask her about it, she's like, y'all do a Venom sequel. <laughs> she's like, we were doing something. Like, I don't know what it was. Well, but it's it going to be Carnage with Woody Harrelson with a clown wig. Yeah. Oh, fuck, that's right. It's actually another Joker origin oh story. It's honestly... I wasn't sure. It's like... God, we were debating this yesterday because Salem Horror is, like, doing an advanced screening of Joker. Oh, really? but it's But it's, like, the first day of the movie. It's, like, the it would be the first movie that we watch. I, I'm it's, down for that. It's, I like, mean, on Thursday. I just, like... Amazing. Now that you've heard that excellent, hilarious, great bit of yeah. live audio, mm -hmm. Tyler, uh, I don't know. What, what do you want to talk about first about Salem Horror Fest? So I guess we have audio from last year's uh, Salem Horror Fest, which we actually recorded there in which we recapped it. Um, I think one of – this isn't related to movies, but I think one thing that we did this year that, uh, was we just went earlier. Mm -hmm. And that was great because we just got to like hang out and do – you know, tourist trash stuff, mm -hmm. and it was a good time, and it was spooky. Yeah. Um, and Salem Horror Fest, again, good programming. I think a little more time between everything, but still wish I could have done everything. Yeah, I would say, like, for me, it's one of those things where, like, I definitely, like, I want to go every year, because every year I think that they do such a good job of curating the movies and picking a theme that's really relevant, Um and just everybody who works there is so nice. Like, yes. there are people that I remembered from last year. There are people who, like, just, like, went above and beyond to make sure that we were having a really good experience. Like, we – the first unofficial movie of the festival was Joker, which we will not <laughs> – will not delve into any of that discourse because it's been done to death. But we showed up and found out that it wasn't actually a part of our weekend pass because the studio was, like – no, you guys can't have that for your weird little political festival. And the woman who was working the door basically just waited until everybody who had tickets went in and then was like, okay, go. Like, it's fine. Like, you guys paid however much money for weekend passes. Are we snitching right now? No, we're not snitching. <laughs> I didn't name names. 
I just said that they went above and beyond to make sure that we had the amazing experience of seeing the film Joker, which I definitely wanted to see and wasn't at all excited to just take a bag of popcorn and walk around Salem and not watch. (laughs) But we did see it. And they definitely, by the end of the weekend, they remembered us. And I mean, they were great even when they didn't remember us. Yeah. it was just kind of fun. Like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, go to... Or like, well, we have to take your day. It was uh, Hannon, right? H-A. Yeah. Oh, you got the one N. Very nicely done. <laughs> it just feels like a really great community. And it's something that I wish that we lived closer because I would love to be a part of that. I would love to volunteer for it. I would love, love to, to go do, both like, weekends. I would lo- Yeah, I would love to be able to attend any of the events that they have throughout the year because on top mm. of having the two weekends of Salem Horror Fest with like a political theme, they also did for Halloween like an entire month of Stephen King adaptations. Um, and I think in November they're doing an Adams Family programming and they do other stuff. They premiere horror movies throughout the year with their taglines and their affiliation. And it's just, it's super cool. And it's something that we don't really have as far as I know, that kind of community for horror fans here, at least not in a way that is as interesting to me because I think that for us, at least the thing that is the most interesting about horror is the political aspect of it, or even if it's not inherently political, the social aspect of it and the... I don't know, the the inherent feminism or socialism or whatever you want to look for. The in deeper those themes. Movies. Yeah, the deeper themes. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's sometimes I, baked into the movie intentionally or sometimes when you find those unintentionally mm-hmm. in a movie, which came up, you know, in one of the movies I'm sure we're going to talk about. of times. Yeah, we got to talk like and getting to be with those people who are interested in engaging with film in that way is really something that we only get to do like together. And so to just like be in a room with a bunch of people and know that they're also having that experience is very special. It was. I think the one thing, I wouldn't call it a regret because there's only so much time, but the one thing we didn't get to do a lot of is to see a lot of, they premiered several movies at this year's Mm -hmm. festival, um, which, I mean, they premiered movies last year, but maybe I was just more aware of it this time. They did more this year. Yeah. Um, And many of which we're interested in, but we didn't get to go to as many because at that point we would have just been living in the theater. And yeah. I think I would say my only criticism of Sailor, Salem Horror Fest is the same as it was last year, which is that there should be like a 15 or 20 minute break between each movie. Like I know we got to get things kind of on the roll, but it got to a point where there was one day we did do three movies in a row and we all drank too much and we all regretted it because we were all really hungry by the end of the, it was three movies in a row and then the live podcast. So it was, oh, yeah. A really long chunk of time to only eat candy and popcorn. Oh, yes. And then I was just like, I got, I'm like, I'm a little too tipsy. Um, Kayla and Ben are going to go meet the Faculty of Horror <laughs> host. I'm going to like just hang back and let them have a good time with this because I'm just like a little too much. Um, I did have oh. a really great, despite having the world's most upset stomach in the entire universe, <laughs> um, I did have a really incredible experience meeting Alex and Andrea from the Faculty of Horror. Those are two people who have not only made me appreciate horror films more, but it's like listening to their podcast has changed the way that I approach almost every film that I watch. And I think that I'm smarter for having listened to them over the past couple of years. And I think that having that kind of like podcasting role model is really important. And they were super nice and generous and they took pictures with me and said some really nice things. And it was just really cool to get to hang out with them for even a couple of minutes. But I think aside from, like, all of the really cool touristy stuff we did, like, mm-hmm. wandering through the graveyard and um, going to Count Orlock's Nightmare Museum, which is very cool. We weren't allowed to take pictures. We also saw a bunch of cool movies 
And, uh, I mean, we, we started off, obviously, when we got to our Airbnb on our own, and we watched the amazing double feature of The Changeling and Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, which mm-hmm. is set in a pseudo-Salem, so it was very fitting. Mm. Um, if you've never seen Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, it has the iconic uh, – can't oh my gosh, I can't remember their name right now. Wow, I'm blanking. But they have the coolest goth girl band that literally made me oh. want to play guitar when I was a young person. And they are eco-goths and they are cool AF. <laughs> and yeah, like it wouldn't be a trip if we weren't also trying to do some of our own ridiculous programming. Um, Tyler, I don't know. What are some of the movies that we saw that you were like that you want to dive into? Well – what I was going to transition to earlier, and we could just do now, is one of the premieres we did make it to mm-hmm. was Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. In the midst of the 1980s, no one was scarier than Freddy Krueger. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was obsessed. Loving Freddy Krueger, loving a Nightmare on Elm Street. But part two came along and it was just a strange movie. For a lot of us, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was our introduction to like... There's a lot of gay in that movie. It's kind of a siren song for the queer horror community. Mark Patton's a, I mean, he's a scream queen. I wake up in the middle of the first movie that I'm the lead actor in and realize that there's a gay subtext in it. It wasn't subtext, it was right there. This movie is the gayest thing. And we did Xanadu last month. (laughs) The documentary about a kind of a follow-up documentary to the uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street documentary series documentary that came out a couple years ago. Oh, you'll ago. never sleep again. Yes, you'll, it kind of a follow-up to "You'll Never Sleep Again," telling uh, Mark Patton's story. Uh, he, the star of the second, then maligned, now uh, not res- resurrected or whatever, but appreciated. Re- yeah, like re- recontextualized yeah. maybe uh, Nightmare on Elm Street two, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Yes. And yes, and that and we went to a Q and A afterwards, and all in all, it was a great experience. And like, mm-hmm. even though we missed out on some other stuff we wanted to do by staying for the Q and A, I think we're both very glad we did. Yeah. If you're into horror movies and look them up online at all, you've probably seen praise for this documentary, but it was very impressive. And I think it was really cool to see it with a Q&A afterwards. Yeah. It added some extra context. And I would say too, a thing that I really liked about it is that it really it. A criticism that I saw of it was that it was too all over the place, but to me, that was kind of what made it special, is that it is the story of this one person's experience in Hollywood, and, like, only a part of that really is the issues surrounding how he was treated post-Nightmare on Elm Street, and I think that there is this entire segment of history that suffers because – so a lot of the documentary focuses on the AIDS crisis, and if you're – Being honest about it, we lost an entire generation of gay people because of political indifference and because of hatred, really. And I think that the more that we can tell stories from that time or contextualize stories from that time and make sure that we're honoring the people who are affected by that, the better we will be as a society. And I think that focusing so much of it on that history and making sure that People understand, like, what it is that you risked by coming out during that time and what happened to somebody who was outed against his will during that time is just incredibly important. It is a very personal documentary, but I do think it is an important window into the past. And that's something they talked about in the Q&A afterwards, too, is um, 
kind of like telling the story of that time that gets lost if you don't have a conversation about it. Uh, one of the things they talked about in the Q&A is how the two directors and Mark Patton are each of kind of a different generation and how this was kind of like educational in many ways, especially for the youngest of the filmmakers um, and the importance of having like um, mentors and allies and such. One of the biggest things because it is very focused on Mark Patton is um, the journey of someone who has been wronged. The, the journey of like finding um, justice, for lack of a better word, or catharsis, or, or find, least, trying to write it. Yeah, like your own peace, I think. Right. Because I, peace is, yeah. Just because, like, word. everybody involved in that obviously is never going to apologize for it because at the end of the day, it really seems like a lot of them, like the director and the screenwriter, just think that he's being dramatic. And, and what apologies they will give, <laughs> not really apologies. They're like, They're sorry, never you were be, upset. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I, I don't know, the journey it takes you on. And, uh, how Mark Patton did find peace and it just, it wasn't in the form that he thought it would take or like wanted it to take once upon a time, but how it kind of was better for it. And then even just from like horror nerd history, it's kind of cool getting insight into that. But yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, I don't know. I cried like four times oh, <laughs> while watching it. So, yeah. and then I cried also because when Mark Patton came out, he then also cried and was like, I'm so excited to be like in a museum right now and presenting this in a oh, museum yeah. and like how our experiences are being held in this like academic regard. And it was, it was a lot. <laughs> like It's, it's kind of cool getting insight, especially like as a, uh, younger person, an old millennial, what have you. The way that a lot of old, I think especially horror, a lot of older horror movies are kind of like the way they get um, recontextualized and like reappraised and revived. Uh, the way the way that that happens, especially over the past, like initially with like cult movies and VHS, and now it happens either a lot quicker or in a lot of different ways now mm-hmm. um, in like our current era. Having this very specific insight into how that affects the person at the center of it mm-hmm. um i guess the, they go into this more in the movie but like how he was just gone for much of the re- revitalization like online and it reminds me like one of the early versions of this i can think of is like john carpenter's the thing mm-hmm. didn't do very well but like has made a big comeback and is now like my favorite horror mo- movie of all time and that's <laughs> definitely not like unique take at all and this has a lot more going on to it than just an unappreciated masterpiece or whatever, but I think it's cool to see what happens on the other end for the people that had that disappointment early on um, and how it's affected them and how, even though they can't benefit in the same way from it being re- like, I'm sure for the most part, they would prefer to have it be more appreciated in its time, how they can kind of still rest possibly through a lot of work, some authority, some like some, like control of the narrative. Yes, authorial like yeah. uh, control and some and monetary benefit too yeah. from that after the fact. Yeah, and I just think that it's in this particular case, it's it's amazing to see somebody come out of like all of this hardship and struggle and having their career taken away from them and then fighting an illness that kills or killed at the time ninety percent of your friends and surviving to just have that kind of grace <laughs> and care for everyone that came after him because it's so easy to become jealous and cynical and angry and just fuck off and never want to talk to anybody or be that role for anybody. And I think that it is a huge responsibility to take on that role of mentoring or talking 
to young queer horror fans and like trying to make sure that their lives are better than yours was. And it's amazing to see him like taking on that responsibility and touring with this documentary and interfacing with people and tackling his own demons at the same time. Yeah. And being reminded that much, much like uh, racism or sexism, uh, homophobia still alive today, but was like truly like, was much worse and very terrible and affected people's livelihoods very actively within easily living memory. Yeah. And and again, that's a consequence of having that entire generation almost be wiped out is that we just – we don't hear those stories. Like what we hear are either old, old stories or new, new stories, which again can be terrible but in different ways. And it's important to have that voice out there is I guess the gist of yeah. <laughs> the discussion on this. So if you haven't seen it, I do believe it's available on streaming and you should rent it and you should watch it because it's really good and very enlightening. The other premiere that we got to see, which was not as poignant, but a totally batshit, crazy, weird ride, was was. In Fabric. Mm -hmm. A purchase on a horizon. I'm just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice, soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. The dress is your image onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. I would like you to announce the numbers to your telephone. 01632 960 Which I, it's been two months. Well, it's been like a month, and I'm still not really sure how I felt about it because I'm torn because it either totally fucking rules or it sucks. Like, I really could not tell you which of those two things it is. But the premise is that this woman goes into a high-end boutique store where everybody talks really weird (laughs) and buys a dress and the dress is haunted and conspiring to kill her. And so we follow her story with the dress for half of the movie and then another person's story. And I, I, I am at a loss for really how to talk about this because it's, it's so bizarre. It almost has to be seen to be believed. It's very like Giallo and Argento in like, um, in that it makes no fucking sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just the, and you're like, man, the fit, like the colors and the sound and like, that the oddness of all the people, creature beings in the movie is the very unusual. Is so strange. Yeah, it's it's it is an experience, and like this comes from uh, Peter Strickland, who made uh, *Barbarian Sound Studio*, which is another really weird movie. I did not know what to do with the first time I saw it, or now, and *Duke of Burgundy*, which I still have not seen, but uh, I think my re- reputation is also fucking weird. <laughs> It's it's hard because I think that it's obviously an A24 movie. It falls right into the scope of whatever it is they're trying to do to shape the modern horror genre. But it also exists so far into the realm of absurdity that I could absolutely see that being a tipping point for some people of just being like just throwing their hands up and being done with it. Because it's very prestige horror-y when it comes to, like, the performances and the musical choices and the script. It's it's one of these movies that's, like, so specific that I'm, like, I'm impressed. 
I'm glad I saw it. Still not sure if I like it, but like, kudos. <laughs> yeah, the amount of work that went into it is quite apparent when you look at the costuming and the lighting and the color palette and all of this. And it's it's a wild ride. I don't know. It's 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 hard to talk about because like even though I watched the entire movie, I don't think I could exactly explain to you what the plot of the movie is. Like, you need to be, like, very smart and well-versed in the influences. And even then, I don't know how you, like, in a brief podcast segment, mm-hmm. explain or even, like, get into it. I would say if you're interested in weird movies where it's prettier than it is anything else, which if you like Giallo films and you like, like, yeah. that era of Italian horror movie, mm-hmm. it's going to be right up your alley and you're yes. going to love it. <laughs> um, for anyone else who, just a surreal mood yeah experience. if you're more interested in an actual narrative and a satisfying conclusion yeah. I would advise maybe watching something else unless you want to just like this could be a good trial by fire that's just true just jump right in Toss yourself in. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I saw it, and yeah. I'm glad that we took the time to see it, especially because it always feels really special to be at the premiere of something. Mm-hmm. But I can't say if I would watch it again or if I feel confident recommending it to other people. Ringing endorsements. But it sure is a movie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. That makes it sound really bad because I did enjoy watching it, but it's yeah. so fucking weird, you guys. I don't know. Yeah, like, no, I really like, don't know what to tell you. It's one of those that's like Im- – like, very hard to recommend to anyone except a movie snob. Like, I would recommend it to Tyler, <laughs> like, out of my friend group, but we saw it sitting next yeah. to each other. What so. was Ben's reaction? Ben really liked it. Yeah. But Ben is always such a wild card with movies like that because, I don't know, I, like, I like to joke that Ben has no taste. And that's not necessarily true. It's just that he doesn't care about it as, like, an art form in the same way that I do. So it's it's a 50-50 chance that he'll either be so confused and, like, irritated by it or he'll think it was the coolest thing right. he's ever seen. It just needs to, like, hook him on a – like, on a um... – not pro- like hook him on like a process level yeah. or like an execution level where it's just like that is he liked the dialogue that's the thing he loved the way that the shop attendants spoke he was like that's how I like to talk when I'm trying to sound really smart <laughs> or something crazy like he said something to that it, effect yeah. and it, it, the movie is like funny too yeah I think uh, actually you're right that is important yes that it's, is important to include yeah it's very funny yes. and I think if you're going in trying to be serious about it yeah. You're not going to like it at all. Yeah. And, and beca- like, if you find something funny, it's probably intentional. Yeah. And because Ben is specifically just a humorous person who yeah. is looking for humor even when there is none, <laughs> it, that kind of movie, it works for him. In the same way that, like, Midsummer worked for him mm-hmm. when I wasn't really sure if it would. Right. Kind of thing. So it's there. He's it's, a fun litmus test. The potential is there. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll never listen to this. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> Uh, the worst part of Salem Horror Fest was on the way back when Ben insisted we listen to an episode of our podcast because we'd been fighting about how we never listened to it and then proceeded to act as if listening to the podcast was him having a conversation with me and Tyler because I guess he's just not used to that. And I had to be like, you know, you can just not talk after like you can just not comment on something that we said. And he's like, it's so hard because you are the two people I talk to the most. So it just feels like I should be answering. I guess now we know why he does listen. I mean, not that it bothers me. I would love to just imagine Ben just like sitting alone in a room listening to the podcast and pretending to have a conversation (laughs) with us, though. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But yeah. Um, (laughs) 
Um, two of the, <laughs> so those are the two debuts that we made it to. Unfortunately, yeah. we didn't weren't able to make it like VFW or some of the others. Went to the the big guys. Yeah, uh, we saw some cool older movies. We though. did. Yeah, um, one of which I expected to love because I've seen it before. One of which really surprised me about how much I liked it. So. I mean, it's fine. I mean, so yeah. there were like two main double feature nights that we went to. There was Attack the Block and The Blob uh, on the first night. And then we went to The Thing and Under the Skin on the second night. First night, very fun, mm-hmm. like very fun movies about alien invaders and uh the underprivileged classes having to make do on their own because those in authority will not lift a finger to help them so they have to defend themselves and the second night uh was i mean i love the thing obviously and it's not it is not one of my love to suffer classics necessarily but a very grim night yeah the The second night was definitely love to suffer oh under the skin is just like Love to suffer legend. Oh, Just boy. feel bad. I sure was suffering by the end of that. It did not help that I was sobering up Wait, from drinking way too much alcohol. Was that the first time you watched it again? I'd never seen I it. Mean, oh, God, I yeah, forgot I, that was the first time you watched it. So, Kayla, I mean... we can, It doesn't matter what order we talk about them. Yeah, so. well, I mean, Attack the Blog. Bl- attack, the, attack the Blob. I mean, the Blob is like a very fun, better than you expect mm-hmm. uh, 80s horror movie. I was pleasantly I, surprised. Right. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Not gooier than you expect, but gorier than you expect. And, like, it's one of those 80s horror movies that's just, like, the practical effects are good. The characters are, like, not great, but, like... Good enough. Yeah, good enough and fun. And it's got that fuck the man attitude. Uh, It's it's just a good time. Uh, Attack the block. Get out the block as fast as you can. Hear me. Good luck, Moses. Leo. Moses versus the monsters. Kill them. Kill all them things. Allow it. I watched the... Like, this is one of those movies that, like, didn't do anything in America, really, but has, like, this cult status. And was the reason I was so, so fucking excited. When John Boyega got cast as a lead in Star Wars, I was like, fucking, finally, I have been waiting for this. I do, like, I do not often actually get to say them. I knew that was coming. Or, like, man. So good. Anyways, I hadn't watched Attack the Block since, like, 2012 for not really any good reason. It's really, still very fun. Yeah, a really good movie, really poignant in a lot of ways that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. A lot of political stuff that we have no right to talk about. Right, and, <laughs> but, like, like, and then, like, I, I love the movie at the time. There's no way I got a bunch of that stuff, even, like, I guess at this point it has been, like, seven years. But, like, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff definitely did not get through to me, even though it's fairly overt. Um, especially, like, the racial stuff. I think I was more just like, that is a pretty badass movie. Fuck the cops. Moses is the best. And it has such a good finale, too. Yeah, I was I was crying at the end, which is probably not a surprise to anybody. But it's one of those things where that's, what again, what I love so much about Salem Horror Fest is it's such smart programming to have the entire theme be to talk about, like, how terrible it is, how we're treating, like, the invaders, quote unquote, of our country. And uh, to, to find these movies that talk about that fear of the other and the fear of the alien and under like through watching these and empathizing with these characters and understanding we can kind of examine our own political landscape which is obviously a dumpster fire right now and it's really nice to have that 
Yeah, and especially in this double feature, like again, how authority fails us. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the second night is more, uh, I guess, humanity's relationship to each other. Yeah. That's just attack the bomb. Very fun. Attack the bomb, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, like, we don't have to talk to you guys about I the am- thing. I have to assume if you haven't seen it, you will. We actually, although I will bring up again the hilarious thing that we have recorded three episodes <laughs> of John Carpenter's The Thing. All of which were lost due to technical issues. Yeah, so. and so we shouldn't talk about it too much because I think if we hit a certain minute threshold, like it just. It's a crock of shit. It just destroys the file. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So shout out to Sean, who did two of those episodes with us, and we appreciate you and all of your hard work. Shout out to me, who literally worked my job on my computer while we recorded the third version of that. And we haven't lost an episode since. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Not Tyler. Not through like, uh, uh, like audio difficulties. <laughs> Shout out to Tyler for then taking it upon himself to make sure that that never happened again because it really sucked. Oh, God. <laughs> I just don't trust Skype recorders. And The Thing is a good movie and yes. always will be. I don't know. I, I, was just, I, like, I discussed like a new thing each time I watch it somehow. Like this time it was just that. This is one of those things, like, I don't even know if it's intentional, but, like, even the dogs do not notice that the new dog is actually the thing until it starts transforming, yeah. which I thought was kind of nifty. Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah, just good to clarify, movie. the thing as a dog is still a good boy. Oh, uh, he was just mm. trying his best to do what he had to do he's to survive. Just, he's just a good boy. Oh, okay, so once he's not a dog anymore, full stop. Not a good boy anymore. <laughs> but when he was a dog, still a good boy. What about a dog with spider legs? Um, ugh, see, that one's hard because all spiders are inherently evil. So I think we'll have to give that one an undetermined. Okay. We'll come up with a ranking system for the different forms of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just go from there. The thing and has then, two heads bad. <laughs> so, Kayla, Under the Skin, though. Oh, my God. Your first time seeing Under the Skin, my second. So you hit the phone? Yes. I think I'm pretty. I like it, gorgeous. Come to me. So, and like the the fact this was the faculty of horrors live episode they did a great discussion after the fact very fun available for your listening pleasure put in the notes all that stuff but kayla st notch yeah so for some context we made really bad decisions before oh. this double feature night and went to a bar and became drunk far too early in the day mm-hmm. and halfway through the thing mm-hmm. i realized that unless i wanted to be very miserable mm-hmm. i needed to keep drinking <laughs> Or stop drinking. And I kind of wishy-washied back and forth on that decision. So Mitami was very upset Mm -hmm. going into Under the Skin, which is not an ideal physical state to be in. However, I will say... If we had eaten a real dinner, we might have been okay. It kind of heightens the experience of how much that movie is only suffering. To be actually physically suffering while watching it. Okay. I'm trying to think of the best way to talk about this movie because really nothing happens in so, it. I mean, well, Under the Skin, based on a book, goes very far from that book. And the plot, even as you're watching it, is not, is not a, like, obtuse is not the word. But, like, it 
what is the opposite of spell things out for uh, you? Gi- okay, so the gist of it is that Scarlett Johansson is an alien who alien. has to eat men to survive. Yes. That's her food source. Well, like, she's, and she's feeding, well, it's like fuel for her whole, like, that's the stuff that doesn't get into it. Like, it's not just her. She's feeling, like, she's like an emissary of her alien race or whatever. Okay. And so that's why she's luring these men is like in some way they like. Will fuel their mothership or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and she takes the form of Scarlett Johansson, a human. Mm-hmm. To do this, and she has there are two other like there she has a watcher who also follows her around on a motorcycle, but that's essentially it. It's just her going around the Scottish yep. coast, um, yeah, just finding men, preying upon them, shenanigans. Yeah, <laughs> I will say the movie you feel bad creates an atmosphere that is unlike any other movie I've ever seen. However, the glacially slow pace of it was starting to push even me to my limits. And I am a total fan of like a slow burn movie. I respect that that is an art form in horror or horror adjacent movies all on its own. But oh my God, does there come a point? <laughs> and like, kind of like, I guess, spoilers, if you care about this movie that came out like eight years ago. This and is another movie where it's like, I guess, well, I guess. It's- I don't think anything is taken mm-hmm. away from going into this movie knowing what's going to happen right. other than like you'll just be waiting for the one thing that ever happens to happen yes. because you know it'll happen and i guess like a slight trigger warning but like it is extremely frustrating to me that nothing happens in that movie for two hours and then the first and only thing that happens is that a man in the forest tries to sexually assault Scarlett Johansson's alien character, finds out she is, in fact, a void, mm-hmm. literally, and then she catches on fire and dies. He lights her on fire. Oh, okay. Well, he lights her on fire yes. and she dies. Yes. So I guess, like, what happens at the end, again, spoilers, but, like, whatever, it's an experience, is, like, so, like, throughout the movie, she is starting to discover her, like, discover a certain kind of humanity. She's identifying with these men more and more, especially because she is in part like she preys on some assholes but also just like some misfits some loners some people who've done nothing wrong but are just seeking companionship and she starts to feel that and so she so she flees her responsibility essentially and loses her protector in the meantime and then as soon as she starts doing that she's like humanity punishes her immediately and then, like, after the man, after the, uh, the assault, when the man's, like, freaked out and running away before coming back, like, her face peels off or something. And mm-hmm. so she is this black void just staring down at her human face that she has taken on, just, like, just, I don't know, existentially suffering before the guy, like, as, as she is sitting there, just, like, pondering her yeah. humanity, her being, her self uh a man like a human like the human man who attacked her and like ruined her chance at finding some sort of like quote-unquote humanity like her uh, own lights are on fire yeah. and on to the next one for the aliens and it's just yeah and it, i get it it's just the thing and i think the faculty of horror ladies also talked about this is that that filmmaker wasn't trying to say any of that and he wasn't really trying to make a film about like how humanity or i'm sorry how man will stomp on women right the filmmaker (laughs) jonathan glazer apparently explicitly said he was not trying to do anything regarding gender in the movie which seems insane of course he wasn't but that's the thing is that what you don't understand like when you make a movie like this and you 
make the choice to make that character for all intents and purposes a woman. It is preying explicitly upon men. Yes, he, like when you're trying to reverse that, and then you make the end of the movie be that like that cannot be that power dynamic almost cannot be reversed. That's very true. But when you're a man and you're saying explicitly that you're not trying to say that, it kind of makes it look like you just made a movie about a woman who eats mm. a bunch of men and then like gets her comeuppance about it. To call back to a movie we're not talking about, the director talking about uh, the movie he made is really like <laughs> only hurting it. He should stop the, doing it. Yeah. Right, right. This is Todd Phillips and the Joker. Where like the thing I said with the Joker is like the best thing Todd Phillips can do is not say anything about his movie so that we will take – we will assume, like, the best-case scenario interpretations of it. Yeah. Like, Jonathan Glazer, I've not read more interviews, but I'm like, that's kind of a similar vibe where it's like, dude, shh, don't say you didn't intend the gender stuff. Let us read intelligence. It's just such a strange hill to die on, too, because the way that they were framing it, it made it seem like he really wanted to drive the point home that he wasn't trying to do that at all. But it's just, again, like, when... The movie is in, is about, inherently, a power dynamic being reversed in a woman preying on men, because statistically that doesn't really happen. And finding that to be unfulfilling, which is a choice as well, moving towards becoming kind of either subservient to or dependent on a man because she meets, like, a kindly stranger who takes her in and feeds mm-hmm. her and they develop, like, a pseudo-romantic relationship. And then fleeing from that subservience because it's frightening and unknown then being literally destroyed by a third type of man in retro like in retribution for being outside of the norm yeah you know and so like the more she like the more she pursues human womanhood like that is like she loses her power as she and that's part of it like being a human woman is about existing with the knowledge at all times that a crazy guy could just kill you or not even, I'm sorry, that is honestly reductive because eight, nine times out of 10, somebody, you know, and love will harm you. Like it doesn't like not even crazy, like maybe angry, but like a man, just a man and somebody that you had previously loved or trusted or known forever or something like that. And so that's like the knowledge that human women have to live with and have to go out into the world and interact with you guys. And, I do think that there is a way to make that narrative and make it interesting, but when you're actively fighting against it after very blatantly putting only those three things in your movie, because again, most of the movie is just meandering around in the fog, which is gorgeous and looks creepy, but if those are the only three things that you're putting on the screen of substance and then immediately you're running away from them, it makes the experience of watching the movie feel cheap in a way and it makes me feel like so once again like i'm being asked to do all of the work for this guy and inject meaning into his film because he doesn't want to talk about what he's created or what he's done because it's not interesting to him or it's like not what he intended so he doesn't want to talk about it and maybe that's like a really harsh way to approach that but I had to sit through that movie with the worst stomachache of my entire life. And luckily I got to hear two really smart women talk about it and tear it apart at the end. Well, not tear it apart, but like dissect it and discuss it in a way that made me feel much better about having just sat through it with that stomachache. Which is kind of the thing with Faculty of Horror, whether they like the movie or not. Like, yeah. 
And that's the thing is, like, I, I would say they like this movie more. Yeah. Like, well, at least Andrea liked this movie more than last year's movie, yeah. The House of the Devil. Um, and it's, yeah. No. And I think it's important to talk about movies that you don't like, and, and which is kind of like our aspiration. Yeah, you know? it's like not even to say that I didn't like that movie. I just think that it's such a cop out to make it and then say it's not about what it's clearly about. And yeah, so real weird experience. For me personally, you had seen it before. So I guess like what changed between your first viewing and second viewing? Because I know you saw it pretty close to when it actually came out, which mm. is a young Tyler time. <laughs> uh, I don't like not the youngest Tyler time. Like I like I think that was 2000. Let's see here. In my head. It came uh, 2013. Out. Oh, okay. In my head, I thought it came okay. out in 2011 for some reason. Okay. I was thinking 2014. So like, yeah, like a younger. Um, Let's see. I... Again, uh, I really am like I really like movies that cause me to suffer. Um, not I realized I should maybe be more careful about how I phrase that because there are many movies that make us suffer in many different ways. And at a certain point, I am like, oh, this is just torture porn. Or yeah, porn. you no, know, I, like I, I understand what you mean. When you're right, that, but like when I feel like a movie hits that love to suffer vibe really well, I'm like I'm really into it. And like this, like this was one of those at the time, but I had not rewatched it because it is long and tough, and I still. I still really liked it, and I think part of that is I do take some delight in enjoying movies for reasons other than what the author intended. There's another one that's going to come up for, like, this reason in our next segment. But I guess I'm still, as always, like kind of wrestling with where authorial intent lies. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, like, if he legitimately did not intend gender at all in this, I still found it very presence and like say like saying something here but at the same time it isn't all that deep a lot of it is just mm-hmm. enjoying the aesthetics of it so <laughs> i think i'm glad to revisit yeah. it because i do think it helps me revisit some of my own assumptions about what i enjoy in film or how i word that um i would still say i really like the movie and find it very impressive but Maybe like is not quite the right word. Maybe mm-hmm. I would say like I really appreciate yeah. many parts of it and find it very impressive. Yeah. And I would say that like to that point that like death of the author is, is important. And I think that we obviously can take whatever we want from things. I just prefer when the author who I'm trying to kill <laughs> isn't like actively being terrible. Like right. Todd Phillips is a perfect example of that. Because I really tried to go into Joker with as open a mind as possible. Right. Because I was like maybe it'll be good. Because authorial intent is still a factor yeah. in some way. Like, yes, once it's out of your hands, it no longer belongs to you and people can interpret it how they want. However, your initial interpretation is kind of important and you are kind of responsible right. for it. And, like, it is kind of nicer when you, like, find something very insightful and touching about a movie when that director totally meant to do that. Yes. And is actually very smart and insightful. I never uh, – let's cite the other podcast. Uh, Blank Check just wrapped up there. Miyazaki series just as an example of like I I do know like when I watch a Miyazaki movie I never think about death of the author mm-hmm. I never think about like I mean never I guess is strong but like I don't really think about like I wonder if he intended to do this message or anything like that like I I guess I like authorial intent means a lot to me there and it like even derives a lot of my pleasure from like watching the movie in many ways and authorial intent and how much i care about it is flexible yeah well it's also (laughs) like if you're a good author yeah there doesn't need to be death of the author because we understand what it was you were trying to convey yeah so that's under the skin and it's just uh fun after all that to uh we finished up with serial mom
Hello? Is this the cocksucker residence? God damn you, stop calling here. Isn't this 4215 pussy way? You bitch! Now let me check the zip code. 212, fuck you! Which yeah. is just, you know. Fun. Right. I, I haven't seen any other John Waters movies besides that, which mm. I think is maybe sacrilege, so sorry. <laughs> but a lot like, of movies. Uh, Ben loves that movie, so Ben was hype. Um, I it's a fun like. There's not really a lot to say. But it just is very fun, and great performances from everybody in it. Mm-hmm. And love it. Really commits to the bit. I, it went. I guess like I did not expect all the places that I went to, but hey, that was, was very that your impressive. first time seeing it? Yes, yeah. Okay, I'd already seen it like four times <laughs> since then. We watched it on a whim last summer because it got added to Stars mm-hmm. on streaming, and. Just that kind of subversive humor is delightful to me in that that's a really good example of a place where trying to subvert a power dynamic and trying to uh, bring some like trying to make something so absurd seem banal in a way is really funny and yeah. can work really well. It's like my first oh the first thing I said I think that came off as very dismissive. I did like I had a great time with it. Mm-hmm. It is very funny. Of a time, but not totally that dated. Uh, just, just a, a fun romp, you know? Yeah. A good time. Good romp. It is streaming on Star's Amazon Prime, got, got, if you want it. <laughs> yeah, young Maddie Lillard in there. Yeah. You know, that's fun. There's a lot of interesting people in that movie. There's Matthew Lillard. There's the guy from Law & Order whose real name I don't know. Um, Nikki Blonsky is in it, I think. That sounds familiar. And... Yeah. Wow. I just totally biffed that. I was like, wow, there's so many interesting people in it. I don't know who any of them are. <laughs> uh, now you're doing a great. Oh, here it is. Oh, uh, Kathleen Turner. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Kathleen Turner. That's obvious. But... <laughs> um, Suzanne Summers, Joan Rivers is there somewhere. Oh, she has a cameo on okay. TV. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's somebody named Mink. Patty Hearst. Yeah, there's somebody named Mink Stoll in that movie, which is uh, interesting to me personally. I don't know anything <laughs> about her, but I just think it's interesting that that's her name. <laughs> but yeah, I I think that's um, I, this is kind of thing we was saying last year, where like the third night is really just like a come down in mm-hmm. many ways. We see like the one kind of fun. What was the la- one movie last year? Oh, uh, no. Last year's was Rosemary's Baby. Oh, Jesus. It was, it was a double feature of Death Becomes Her, which was a funny good one, but Rosemary's Baby technically played after okay. it. Okay. W- that's what I was thinking of Death Becomes Her. So you were half right. Yes. <laughs> Only in that we first okay. had that, and we, then we loved to suffer. Man, we ended with a double feature. Okay. For some reason, I thought it, in my head it was just Death Becomes Her that we saw on the last night. So no, I'm totally wrong. Not the first time. No worries. Good thing <laughs> I, got, I made that uh, list. <laughs> <laughs> I have like I have my letterbox tags too and everything. But yeah, yeah good Same time. More, good time. Mm-hmm. Would love to go again next year, but I think I'll be getting married. So I got a tattoo. Oh yeah, Tyler got a tattoo. I get a tattoo. Put a picture of that in the show notes. It's very good. Yes, it's on Instagram. Very happy with it. The Halloween guy. Yeah, I would get another one next year if we went, but. We'll need a lot more Patreon. <laughs> yeah, if you would like me to get married and go to Salem Horror Fest, uh, please donate to Patreon. I just did all the math we, on how much it's going to cost to get married, so please donate on Patreon. Well, here, oh my god! I guess what we could say is, so we don't with right now. We're not withdrawing the Patreon funds. We're like saving it up for like I don't know a fun podcast thing. If we got enough patrons and we saved up the money for the entire year, it would. Uh, we I mean it would have to be quite a bit, go. but yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe. Do that. 
Also, granted, hoping that the weekends don't literally interfere with whatever weekend it is that I'm getting married well, in October. Well, they, they've but... been doing Salem. Like, Salem's the beginning of October. Yeah. Always, so. so we'll see. I'm just, like, clinging to the hope of, like, maybe? You can go maybe? without me. It's okay. Like, I wouldn't. I would be so sad, but I wouldn't be angry at you. It would be understandable. Just gonna FaceTime with you in bed the whole way through. Like, like, sir, you can't actually (laughs) let somebody watch the movies over FaceTime. Don't understand. (laughs) It's for the podcast. It's for doing it for the fine. It's like, like, Tyler, Tyler, we gotta go. We have like, we have a wedding coming up. That's like. two weeks what's the big deal the extreme yeah literally every time this year because we had this conversation off mic earlier where i was like you know like i want to get married next year and then ben actually proposed to me so now i definitely have to get married next year and i was like with that like i don't think we would go to salem but then like every time i'm like but like when we go to salem next year because it's so hard for me to just be like just not do it how is that (laughs) not one of the things we mentioned at the top when we did our big info dump i said it for one second i said i got engaged (laughs) said a lot of things all right so what what, what most of it was the bad stuff what are we time stamped at 57 minutes or something hey 53 yeah okay cool so i got engaged (laughs) on halloween this is a good segue actually into just general halloween things that's true so um i got engaged on halloween tyler was accidentally there which is actually really good and fitting um Ben proposed to me in a haunted house that he built in our apartment. Complete pictures of that in the show notes too. Yeah, I'll put. Yeah, I will send them to you. Well, you have them, I think, but mm-hmm. I'll send like actual nice ones, not yeah. from Instagram. Um, <laughs> complete with dry ice, fogging cauldrons, and ro- that's not you know I should have said nope, that, fog, but that's yep, fo- fogging cauldrons. Fogging. <laughs> um, fog in cauldrons. Real. Leaves, yeah, real tree branches and just leaves. Great, they were very nicely done. They looked fake, they just were, in that they were like they were you so know. perfect, like fall foliage. Yes. Um, some beautiful roses, which I have selected the four best ones, and I'm drying out in my closet right now. Bottle of champagne. Um, the ring is gorgeous. The ring is very goth and has a black stone in the middle. It's a triple moon goddess symbol. He said a lot of cute things about it because he he said that he chose the triple moon goddess design of it because he felt it was important to recognize my independence and intelligence and like i don't know vivacity as a woman and that to make sure that while he was giving me a ring which is traditionally a symbol of like ownership that it really meant that he was giving me this gift and that i was giving him the gift of like being his wife it was very sweet and incredible well, see i was gonna say like oh you guys are a couple of dorks but then you said something very actually nice and sincere <laughs> i'm like okay you two are good. It's very good. So, yeah, yeah um, I really enjoyed it. Also, I was there. So Yeah, Tyler was there. I, I waited in the hallway because I, I knew it was going on. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, well, go ahead and go up those stairs. I'm yeah. just um, all day on shoot. Halloween because somebody had hinted that it might happen. Not Ben. Somebody. Somebody's. Um, yeah, I was feral yeah. by the time at the end of the day. But Ben was very smart and made, played it that it, like he didn't log off of our work chat or anything. So he was talking to me in work chat sporadically throughout the day and told me he was working on a Halloween costume. And the thing is with Ben, it's like 50-50. He could have just been making a giant Muppet Halloween costume and mm. I wouldn't have been surprised. And so by the end of the day, I had like tempered my expectations totally, which worked in his favor because I was quite surprised. Yeah, literally everyone was losing their minds except for me. I was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you need me to just like give you like give you updates on the ride home and yeah yeah I can do that whatever that's good. Meanwhile, everyone's else just like ah, the plan. I, yeah, I also the plan. Found, I also found out that everyone in my life is a liar Ugh. and can't be trusted. Ugh, I just screamed into the mic. Now I played myself. <laughs> Anyways, you're engaged. Way to go. Good job. Very exciting. Yeah, hoping to have a Halloween-ish themed wedding next year. Mm-hmm. 
Again, our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash LTRFIPod. Yeah, I did the math on it, and it's real grim. So if anybody was waiting for a reason to give money to the podcast, it's that I'm going to go into even more debt trying to get married. So, yay. I love debt. Same. I love debt. It's good. I just got a second job. (laughs) Um, Tyler, what are some of the general Halloween movies that you want to talk about? So I watched a lot of movies. I made a list, I think, but I I have... I only have two to talk about. Well, I I didn't bring everything to talk about. There are a lot of movies I did not bring everything to talk about. Because also, like, sometimes there's not much to talk about. Or, like... The Salem, we already went over the Salem stuff. We watched House, but Faculty of Horror did a whole podcast on that, mm-hmm. so I don't want to just go over that. It was like um, they already talked about it. Was it was really fucking cool, though. Um, let me open my tab here with my notes. Yeah, House is a weird movie. You should watch it. That's really all I have to say, is totally. that it's so weird. Okay, so I, I revisited uh, like a personal favorite and kind of one of these movies. I've, I've hinted at this a couple times throughout. I watched Carnival of Souls. I have no desire for the close company of other people. My dear, you cannot live in isolation from the human race. That old pavilion out by the lake, somehow you associate it with all this, don't you? There was someone else there. That strange man was there. Hysteria won't solve anything. Now control yourself. You think I imagined all of it, don't you? You think I'm insane? I didn't say that. I don't mean that. That's just what I need. Get mixed up with some girls off a rocker. She's got a problem. It'll go right along with her. So Carnival of Souls is um, kind of tying a bunch of the themes of motifs we've talked about together it is one of these movies that like kind of did nothing when it came out and has since been resurrected a bit as a cult classic and a very influential uh 1960s horror movie um it also is one of these like is a movie that has a lot of different things including um being a woman in the world like uh, a lot of themes that you can read into it but feel like they almost might be accidental. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I really love this movie. I think it speaks to me a lot. But it also is one of those where I'm like, I almost don't want... Like, I want to read everything about it, but also don't want to read anything about it because part of me is like, I think this might be completely by accident because the director didn't direct any other feature films and the actress didn't... Like, I mean, the actress is great. That This isn't much on her. She didn't go on to much else. But, like, the director did not direct any feature films after this. So I'm like... This might all be by accident, which kind of makes me love it more, but also, like, you know, as much as I try to, like, stick by authorial intent, like, you know. Sometimes it just doesn't work Sometimes out. you don't want, like, yeah. sometimes you find out, like, it was totally by accident. He actually meant it to be a men's rights thing or whatever. And I'm sometimes just like, oh, no. Sometimes you find out Roman Polanski directed Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is actually, so. <laughs> that is a great example. So... I guess Carnival of Souls, like, is another, like, mood piece or whatever, but it's um, one of the loneliest movies I've ever seen, which stuck out to me the first time. And it's, like, it's a, like, it's, like, 88 minutes or something like that. Uh, Basically, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the plot from Letterboxd just to, I'm going to do this for each of my movies because... I don't know. It's just like a nice way to do it. So uh, Mary Henry ends up the sole survivor of a fatal car accident through mysterious circumstances. Trying to put the incident behind her, she moves to Utah from Kansas and takes a job as a church organist. But her fresh start is interrupted by visions of a fiendish man. As the visions begin to occur more frequently, Mary finds herself drawn to the deserted carnival on the outskirts of town. The strangely alluring carnival may hold the secret to her tragic past. Mm. 
which I think that last sentence is actually kind of like, I, that like doesn't really mean anything for my enjoyment of the movie. Like plot is not really a main part, like the part of this movie I enjoy. The idea for this movie came from the setting, uh, which makes a lot of sense because I shoot, I don't have the name of the place pulled out, but like this, the, a lot of the actual like technical details are what gave this movie its reputation. Um, and it has like these beautiful haunting cavernous settings that are like just amplify the loneliness of the movie or it has very claustrophobic and cloying settings in which uh, Mary is trapped which kind of amplifies the themes intentional or not of the movie and but like basically nowhere is safe for her she is a church organist and all the music in the movie is organ music and, and so it gets like weird and uncanny and haunting and it's just like this you're watching this unraveling of a person basically and the actress she didn't go on to do much else but she's really good in it she's like at like both you she's like unreliable but like and pitiable but relatable and she's just overwhelmed and just trying to survive a lot of the themes you can read into this are like some are like broader she's a woman trying to live in the world but there are these men who won't let her whether it be the fiendish man or like her very overbearing wants to fuck her neighbor or a psychologist she runs into and is just like I must tell you what's wrong with you. She's just trying to live and the world won't let her. There's like a this aspect of mental illness like that can be read into it. She's like this loner, but she needs something, but she can't communicate and the world can't understand. There's this woman who like strikes out on her own She like to find something new. And it's like, what happens if you don't find anything or what you find is worse? And then the pursuit of this fiendish man who may like might be death. What, I don't know what it is. It's just the loneliest movie I've ever seen. Um, like, love to suffer, love to suffer classic. I just, I really like it. I'm almost definitely going to order it from the Barnes and Noble Criterion sale, 50% off. It's going on this month. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's just fascinating and ties in pretty nicely to a bunch of the other movies we talked about in this. <laughs> While I call it a love to suffer classic, and like, it is fairly short. It looks really cool, and I do think it's worth a watch. I'm really sad because I was going to watch this. Um, Did I spoil it? No, no, it's an old movie. I think I actually had read about it in one of my like IMDb trivia holes mm-hmm. many, many years ago. Because when you started talking about it as a movie that you really liked, I like I it seemed familiar in a way that like I would have never just randomly heard about it. Mm-hmm. I was gonna watch it on Amazon, and because Ben is evil and hates black and white movies, we didn't watch it. Oh, that's such a. <sighs> He's, I know we literally argued about it yep, for yep. an hour straight. <laughs> well, so. I mean, I'm almost definitely gonna buy the Criterion. So like. I will just loan it to you when I buy it with my cool. paycheck. So Cool. Good. Can't wait. I did help you pick out which Carnival of Souls poster you wanted in Salem. Though. Yes. Um, <laughs> because, like, while the movie's in black and white, the black and white poster looked, like, a little too faded out, and the color just, it just seemed right. It looks um, good. Yes. Uh, it's yeah, also no. very of the time to have a black and white movie and a very Technicolor poster, so. Kayla. What is one of your Halloween movies? Um, Kind of tying into that, actually, oh. is Night Trap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so the movie that I watched that I really I, took me by surprise how much I enjoyed it was Climax by Gaspar Noé. <laughs>
suis pas me rend plus forte. Birth and death are extraordinary experiences. Life is a fleeting pleasure. Young dancers gather in a remote and empty school building to rehearse on a cold and wintry night. The all-night celebration soon turns hallucinatory or into a hallucinatory nightmare when they learn that their sangria is laced with LSD. First of all, I am not a huge fan of Gaspar Noy just because I think that a lot of the ways in which he goes about things are gross. And that's fine. Uh, French Extremity is not quite my genre. Very interesting to read about, but totally different to watch, I think. This movie really surprised me because I am usually very put off by a Noé film. And this uh, – something about it just worked. It is a psychedelic nightmare. I am super glad that I watched it on my iPad and not in a movie theater because we almost went to see it in theaters. And I, at the last minute, was like, you know what? I've had experiences that might make this a real bad time for me. So we're, I'm going to wait on this one. I don't know if I need to be trapped in a movie theater with it. And it sneaks up on you too. And I, I, I've seen criticisms on it. The first 45 minutes of the movie are just them like getting into this party. There, it starts with this incredible dance sequence and then it's just 45 minutes of bullshit party talking. What I find personally hilarious about this is that it takes about 45 minutes for any hard drug that you take to hit. It's just a fact that I know. And so... IMDb trivia. At the exact like 47 minute mark or something like that is when it kind of starts to go off the rails and when they realize that something is wrong. And it is so interesting to watch it definitely has that same theme of being just kind of about like the devolution of humankind and about the experiences that they will have Sophia Butella is incredible in this movie like absolutely I am obsessed with her I want to know everything about her her character everything that went into this she's like a standout in any movie she's oh in God, Including, like even like the first Kingsman you're just like who the heck is this? I'm obsessed with her. I love her. And about halfway through the part where everybody is fully losing it, um, there is an amazing scene that is inspired, like on record inspired by and clearly inspired by the uh, expulsion scene in Possession, and which is the subway scene. I'm sorry, which is maybe more the way to phrase that. But um, it's a scene. Have you seen, did you watch Climax or no? Not yet. Oh, it's no. So in, okay, so. It's on, like, Amazon Prime, isn't it? Yes. Maybe I'll, like, get some sangria smell of yeah. <laughs> I honestly, just in case anyone was thinking about this idea, literally do not take drugs and watch this movie. You will have, like, like I do not take a hallucinatory drug and watch this movie. You will have a bad time. Like, straight up, you will not have a good time. <laughs> so don't do it. <laughs> like, maybe smoke weed. I wouldn't even recommend that. <laughs> so I don't know. And, like, and the thing is, is that it's not particularly – scary in any way uh, and like uh, like uh, maybe i'm just very cynical and i'm like of course human beings are terrible <laughs> so maybe maybe if you think the world is inherently a good place it's scary but to me watching this degradation of soul and watching this debauchery and intenses happen is so interesting to me even though there's not really like a strong central plot other than like things go crazy I just like watching all like you really care about a lot of these characters and watching them go through this and how they react and how they deal with it. When the credits rolled, <laughs> I 
was kind of stunned because, again, I had put off watching it for a really long time. I watched it on my iPad <laughs> in my bedroom because Ben You was- say really long time, but I think it technically came out this year, didn't I it? I mean, yeah, <laughs> but, like, for me as, like, the filmé or whatever, like, yeah. it, it, it feels like a long time to have not seen it. And I, I sat with it for a minute, and there's a particular feeling that I get when I finish a movie that I really like, and it happened with Hereditary, it happened with It Follows with Oculus, like all like with the horror movies, I guess, in particular, where I want to know everything about it. I want to see every interview. I want to read every piece of trivia. I want to know every single thing that went into making this movie. And I don't know what – like, I'm sure that's, like, a pretty normal feeling, but it's something that I know when – when I have that feeling where I just have to seek out every single thing about it to like to continue the experience of having seen it, right. that it's something special. Yes. And to come from such an unexpected place, again, Gaspar Noy and I do not get along, <laughs> um, was really interesting. And yeah, if you want to just have like a nightmare. I showed the opening dance sequence to Ben and he was like, the soundtrack rules. I should put this on my morning playlist. And I'm like, yeah, I really think you would like this specifically just because crazy shit and music, like EDM music is kind of your deal. So mm, yeah, um, I I recommend it. I think it is a good movie. Excellent. I feel like I always have like a really great speech that I say and then I'm like, and anyway, yeah, it's good. <laughs> Endorsed. <laughs> I mean, you reach the climax, and then after that, you're just like, I, what, what, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Tyler, what was another movie that you watched for general Halloween? Uh, I'm actually going to, like, tag team a movie I watched technically after Halloween, but still in the spirit in with this one, but uh, Scream 4. Modern audiences have become savvy to the rules of the originals. I mean, there are still rules, but the rules have changed. And the kill has got to be, like, way more extreme. <laughs> The unexpected is the new cliche. And virgins can die now. <laughs> to be the new version, you know, 2.0, the killer should be filming the murders. Yeah, it's a natural next step in psycho slasher innovation. Go ahead if you have the guts. I hear you like horror movies. It's for you. I watched Scream 4 for the first time. Okay. I hadn't been avoiding it necessarily. And I think I talked to you a little bit about yeah. it. I, this is one of the movies where I was just like, on um, like online, I was just like, God damn. It's like, it gave me that feeling. I was just like, I need people to know Scream 4 rules. Scream 4 is great. Scream 4 is like the second best Scream movie. I didn't expect it to be bad. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I knew there were, like, mixed... Like, mm. the uh, reaction to it was kind of mixed. I, like, vaguely had some idea that people weren't quite sure where to place in the rankings. But I didn't know what to expect. So I went kind of open. And as I'm watching, I'm like, is is this better? Like, I think I might like this better than 3, which I also watched... Well, like, I rewatched the entire Scream series mm-hmm. fairly recently for the first time in a while. Um, and I was like, I think I like this better than 3, and Three Creeping is the one like, that everybody hates, though, right? I don't know if they hate it. Like, I mean, my, my I impression was, like, Scream 4 is what people have hated. Like, Scream yeah. 3 is, like, fine, but it feels, like, the most inessential. Gotcha. And so, like, my like I thought people like Scream 4 the least, but as I'm watching, I'm like, I think Scream 4, I like this better than Scream 3. And I'm like, I think I like this better than Scream 2. And as I'm, like, thinking about it and, like, writing about it a bit, I'm just like, Scream 4 rules. And it's definitely, like, my second favorite Scream. So, I guess Scream 4, uh, it's Wes Craven, like... The Scream movies were initially conceived as a trilogy. This addition to the trilogy was released in 2011. And it kind of has some of the stuff you might expect where it's, it's deal, like it's 
it's scream so it's meta it's dealing with more techno of new technology and like uh like youth behavior these days and a bunch of stuff especially in the hands of like an old white man filmmaker like you expect it to be terrible especially since a lot of movies that deal with social media don't do it very well <laughs> i've seen plenty of bad social media horror I don't know why, and this is part of where I'm going to tag in New Nightmare. Um, I don't know why I kind of forget how good Wes Craven is. I feel like we get caught up just how good his old classics are, like Nightmare on Elm Street and like the effects and all that, or in his newer movies, Scream, New Nightmare, like the meta-ness of them. Watching this in New Nightmare, it's like, Yes, that stuff is true. He is clever, he is smart, and especially like the screen movies, they are trying to be meta and clever. But that is only a part of what they are. They have, might be a cliche, but like these real human characters at the center of them who are like just trying to get by, trying to say the people I can, just trying to do their best, who like have flaws. Um, like so in this movie, it is of course Sidney Prescott, Nev Campbell returns again. Um, in New Nightmare, it is um, Heather Langenkamp returning as Nancy. Yeah, they're the meta elements, and they are better. Like they are pretty good, but there's so much more to them than just the meta stuff. And I feel like that's what people get hung up on. So, like one of the things I highlighted in my Scream Four reaction, Scream, it's like about you know the first one, like oh, it's like meta. It's about horror movies. It's about culture reacting to horror movies. And Scream Four is it's actually more about like media and news cycles, um, about the stories that the public tells themselves, uh, just because they're simple or easy to digest, and how the public treats victims. And this is all stuff that could be terrible, but I think it works really well. And a lot of the time of the criticisms we've seen, like a lot of the common ones or this one are like, they don't think it handles new media very well, which man, people in 2011 got bad news. That's what I was just I got thinking. Bad actually. News. This actually ages pretty well because the new media stuff is not as big a part of it as like reviews and reactions made me think. Mm-hmm. And also I think it actually does pretty well, especially since one of the main things is live streaming and it's 2011 and the main social media thing mm-hmm. is live streaming, which actually has aged pretty well That's because true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and like that, it hates the kids. And I, that I just find those two both totally missed the point. Like, yes, Sydney Prescott is the hero and you know, the kids are like, this isn't spoilers at all. Most of the characters in the movie are like kids. Sydney's visiting her niece. She has a bunch of her friends. A lot of them are like, you know, the victims or whatever, but like, I'm like the movie doesn't hate the kids. If anything, the kids are like the most sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could, I guess I could see how people might read them, especially like hated and Panettiere's character. One, like best I've ever, she's ever been. I think she's mm-hmm. really good in this movie as just man, like, as like this, kind of preppy badass girl who's Mm -hmm. kind of like toying with this nerd who's into her but i i can't i can't describe that to her well she's really good and she's like almost the most sympathetic character in the Mm -hmm. movie and like the stereotype she most resembles would be generally the most hateable um i just it is very smart i think Mm -hmm. it is smarter about like the new media stuff than it gets credit for i think it has more purpose than the second and definitely the third movie and ah, man just Wes craven really really good yeah i i don't know i don't think i summed that up necessarily very well but kayla i've been talking about having that. not seen that movie at all mm-hmm. but curious about the media stuff in it i think that just in general the world that we've built since 2011 around social media and around news media in general um is bad <laughs> and was a big mistake 
But like having been very online in 2011, I also know that at that time, I myself and many others felt like a very protective of the space that we were trying to carve out for ourselves there. So I definitely can see how there would have been a lot of criticism of that aspect of the movie, because I think back then nobody wanted to admit that we were building something that was a mistake. Whereas now, in retrospect, I think it's very clear that we went wrong somewhere because, like, I don't look at Twitter, look at Reddit, look at any of this stuff, look at the fucking president of our country and how the media portrays him and how the media acts in any, like, in any way now. And so I think that it sounds like, again, I haven't seen Scream 4, so I'm totally extrapolating out of my butt, (laughs) but it seems like... It is a movie that benefits with that retrospect and understanding that, like, even if nobody liked it at the time and nobody wanted to hear that message at the time, it kind of turned out to be true. And which is which is actually kind of a wet like that's Wes Craven's whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Is accidentally hitting it. (laughs) Well, I don't even know. Like, I think I give him more credit just because he does it time and again. And also, Mm -hmm. like. And like it is like it's not just media is bad. One of the main characters throughout the whole series is Courtney Cox, who herself is like a flawed character. Who like mm-hmm. some of the reactions it seems like people think this is old man angry yelling at clouds. I'm like, I mean, he's angry, but like he's also like sad. Um, it's a warning. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it's 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 good. Yeah, so the reactions. I think I, th- I feel like you missed the point. Yeah. Um, I was going to quote something from this Cam Collins review, who is a critic I really like. Um, but even with the standbys, Craven is up to something. Cox begins the film wanting to leave reporting behind and write fiction and then winds up entangled once more in a new set of Woodsboro Murders, a real-life franchise. Craven's genius was that he could sustain this idea. An implicit critique of our relationship to fictional violence, of the pleasure and horror, as lo- like so long as it is kept at a distance, so fun for so long. R.I.P. Because he wrote this right after he died. Um, and one of the things earlier, Scream for me is about the moment shit gets real, the stabbing. The purpose of Craven's metafiction is more psychologically r- rigorous than mere cleverness. That's okay. That's the quote I really liked. Is the purpose of Craven's metafiction is more psychologically rigorous than mere cleverness? Um, like watches the character gets a phone call, doesn't believe it, and the realization dawns. And I think that's like we. I mean, I used to be a fan of Community, which is like the most meta of all meta things. I enjoy meta stuff, but also like. I know how meta stuff can be too much. And I think when we talk about, and this extends to New Nightmare too, and how it surprised me, like we talk about like these meta movies and how New Nightmare is like a, like a predecessor to like a proto scream in many ways and him mm-hmm. dipping his toes into meta stuff. And I'm like, yes, but also there's so much more there, there and fucking pour one out for Wes Craven, a real one. Yeah. The realist. Sorry, that was like a long time, but I felt very strongly about Scream no, 4. No, it's good. Good it is. <laughs> and New Nightmare. New my like, just, I like, won't get too deep on that, but New Nightmare totally surprised me, and which is what reminded me. I'm like, I don't know why I'm surprised that Wes Craven surprises me and does mm-hmm. not do the obvious thing. Yeah, New Nightmare is really rad. Kind of tying into that. Um, the other movie that I watched, actually, like, in Halloween season that I really liked and I thought also had an interesting portrayal of social media was um, Tragedy Girls. Sometimes I just feel like nothing I do matters. Like I'm not special. We only got one retweet today from your mom. Sad. We were just wondering if maybe you could give our blog a shout out. A shout out from me would be a little off brand. I have 15,000 followers. You know what that means, a community like this? (laughs) 
More to the left. His heart's more to the left. You're just hitting the bone, dude. I'm trying. Mr. High is trending. I really hope nothing bad happened to him. It's like poof. He vanished, right? Anybody could be next. Even you. You can find more information on our Tragedy Girls Twitter page. Oh, which yeah. I decided to watch because it was part of Alex West's speech or speech lecture <laughs> on uh, social media and horror movies. And this is, an, again, a movie that is it, it is absurd and it's meant to be funny and it's meant to be like a black satire view of how the teens and the youth are using the social media. But I thought it was really fun and really interesting in the way that it explored the relationship between the two girls. So the gist of the plot is that these two girls are obsessed with death. They have like a true crime webcast. Webcast. (laughs) They have a true crime like YouTube channel in the movie. And they are in the process of capturing a serial killer and trying to force him to mentor them because they want to go on their own serial killer spree so that their blog will get very popular and that they will also be like well-known famous serial killers eventually. Mm. And of course that's like heinous in real life, but boy, do you want them to achieve that dream (laughs) throughout this movie? And the way that they use social media is super interesting because there are a lot of ways in which they use hashtags and the popularity of their blog to manipulate the public into being on their side or to obfuscate their crimes or to like to do their crimes like there's just a lot of really interesting ways in which these two girls are able to use like one of them to use her privilege as like a cute white girl to get out of scenarios and um i don't know it's just like it's one of those movies where there's not a lot to say about it other than that i think but it is a really interesting character study in like the friendship between these two girls how it's threatened by the possibility of them needing to separate for a little bit and come back together how the way that social media trains us to be so focused on instant validation can lead, obviously, here to the most logical, absurd extreme. But it is still valuable to think about that in the context of your real life, where it's like, okay, what are you willing to do to get a couple more hearts on Instagram or that kind of thing? And I do think that, well, people will read in not to this movie, but to a lot of movies where they try to focus on social media, a bit of that like old man yells at cloud thing. There are legitimate things to worry about with the way that we consume social media and the ever presence of it in our lives and the way that we focus on it so much. And I think that as we get more into this era of it being instead of a hobby or a thing that we do sometimes and as we progress into this where it's like six hours of your day is going to be you on these websites – which for better or for worse is where we're at now. Like, I think that we will get a lot of really interesting horror movies out of that concept. Fair or not, I kind of give extra points to these movies that deal with media, especially social media, and actually do it well, just because like, man, it's really easy to get that wrong. (laughs) And if you get it wrong, especially because the audience spends all their time on that, it can come off as very obvious or very preachy words. Mm -hmm. Like, especially Tragedy Girls, like as the elements of satire and stuff to it, like it just seems... It's very impressive that it's executed, especially the two actresses are so good in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just very impressive movie. And great hair. Just great hair. Yeah, really good hair. Yeah. Did uh, you have another movie? Or I think that's that's all I have. Although the other ones I watched are very silly. So, yeah. so I mean, the other one I, I took some notes on just because like, I'm like, it's so I watched Halloween 6.
also known as the one with Paul Rudd, also known <laughs> as the one the, with the Cult of the Thorn. Um, just, And I've actually watched most of the Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare series, like, through for the first time in the last mm-hmm. two, three years. And it's just very interesting to see where they go um, and how they, man, for a long time, really try to maintain the timeline, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. The Curse of Michael Myers is just fascinating because, like, what a weird place to take the Halloween series to introduce, like, oh, by the way, there's this cult that actually gives Michael his power and immortality and drive to kill. And they have to kill Jamie Lee Curtis's grandniece. But, (laughs) thankfully, Tommy Doyle, played by Paul Rudd, the kid who Laurie Strode babysat in the first Halloween, he's here to help save the day. It's why did he have to be that guy? <laughs> Continuity. Very insulting that she needs to be saved by a child she literally protected. Well, I mean, Laurie Strode is deceased. And, oh. oh, she's long deceased. Yes. Wait. Um, I mean, I haven't seen past Halloween three or the new one. I, I guess where she. Dies. I guess I forgot that she died, yeah, and she, then they just ignored that for the new reboot. Well, I mean, so like, so like this killed the original timeline, or like yeah. the first stab at the original timeline. So this one came out six years after five, which did not do well and effectively killed it. Um, it's one of the more fascinating things. It's like Paul Rudd this is one of his early roles. And they clearly mm-hmm. did not like it's clear because like they don't know what to do with Paul Rudd. And he's really bad because he's like on the spectrum, kind of humorless until like at the very end, he starts flashing grins when he's just like, what is happening? And you're like, Paul, there you are. Oh, I, you know what? They really missed on having. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and and uh, only three years after this, Halloween H2O comes out, which is the first time they were like, actually, Halloween, we're going to go back to Halloween 2 and we're going to do this again. So it's kind of like the Terminator franchise where they just keep going back to the second one. They're like, actually, this is where the continuity this is the starts. Third one. <laughs> yeah. And I got, and like watching Halloween, so I was like, this is fascinating that they killed this. And like, I don't, I have a lot of issues with Halloween 3. I think the Halloween 3 revisionism, like, I, I enjoy Halloween 3 and the iconography, but like the revisionism is like, yeah. It's not good. No. Like, let's not uh, be, let's I not be really, silly. I wish it was good. I love the idea. And I will say, like, you know what? I would rather have more Halloween 3s and anthology style than Halloween 4, 5, and 6. But yeah. it's just fascinating how this movie just, like, killed. Like, they took yeah. wild swings with the continuity. Like, with the lore. I didn't care about that, so I kind of had mm-hmm. fun. But it's bad. And What's three crazy? years later, they're like, actually, Steve Miner, H2O, let's do it. What's crazy is that Halloween doesn't need a sequel. It never needed a sequel. John Carpenter didn't want it to have a right. sequel. And this, sometimes I'm like, maybe we should just fucking listen. This is why it's kind of almost fun, because I'm like, I don't actually care about the Halloween continuity. So, like, make it as unrecognizable sure. as possible. Yeah. Like, it's, why not? I, I mean, it's bad, but it's kind of fun. Obviously... This is, like, much lower than even movies we didn't even talk about. But it's just kind of fascinating from, like, the context perspective to revisit these movies where, like, this is where it went. And also this is where it died. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I almost wish we, like, I think the only thing I can think of that we have that's similar to that kind of franchiseness is the Conjuring universe. And even that is debatable. Yeah. So... I, like, they're almost good in that they're so absurd. I'm I like, I, I'm glad I wasn't a fan at the time because it fe- seemed like it would be very frustrating, probably. Mm-hmm. But it's like a, just a different kind of appreciation you can bring to it. Where yeah. I'm like, 
If I cared about the lore of Halloween, I'd be so fucking mad by four, but five, also, and six. Like, but who like, fucking cares right. about the lore of Halloween? Like, I'm sure. Like, I know you're out there. Don't worry about it. You don't have to tell me that you care because I know you do. But at the end of the day, and also they want you to care about the lore of Halloween. They clearly do. I mean, we enjoyed yeah. the new Halloween, yeah. but yeah, just it's just. And even then, like in retrospect, like the more I think about that movie, the more I'm like maybe that wasn't really a good movie. You know, it's one of the, like, I think that all of those horror franchises minus some of the nightmare entries and like the original Halloween kind of suffer from that where the more you think about it or the more times you watch them, the more you are confronted with the fact that they aren't very good. And so you have a choice to either be upset about that or to accept them as they are. And just, it's a part of the Halloween tradition that you watch this goofy movie with a chainsaw or whatever, you know? Yeah. I do need to watch Halloween again because, like, I do think, like, I mean, good, it's relative. Like, I do think I, like, legitimately liked it and would mm-hmm. say it's for the most part good. But mm-hmm. it is also, like, how much of that is... Initial hype. Right. And then, like, I, what is the line between Joker kind of... Like, Joker's actually kind of similar to Halloween in, like, you know, a traditional comedy director coming and, like, taking on this more serious to different extent, like, in different ways, material... Like, what is the line between, like, reference and homage and pastiche? I don't know that I'm smart enough to, like, say it. It worked more for Hall- with Halloween than it did for Joker well, for me, but, like... For me, in those particular instances, know. Halloween is an... Enter- like, Halloween 2018 is an entertaining movie. Yes. Even if it's not a good movie, it's entertaining. And I enjoyed watching it, and it was fun and interesting while i was watching it if i hold it up to a critical lens mm. (laughs) but whereas joker in that particular sense uh was the most exhausting film going experience i've ever had because it was just so relentlessly to me bad and halloween's just like i think just trying to be a good halloween movie whereas which not even other halloween movies are have done a very good job of so really they're above the bar at that point but good Halloween season. Yeah, overall. Well, well, good when we were in Salem <laughs> and when I got engaged. Yeah. The rest and, of October can fuck and, right and off. Some of the movies are good, but yeah. Uh. <laughs> it was a rough month. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for your patience as always with us. Good fast, good Halloween. October? Eh. Eh. Yeah, so I guess wrapping up, that is our Halloween recap hopefully this will be the only year this ever happens in the tragedy of not being able to post a halloween episode because normally we post multiple halloween episodes yeah so during the month yeah yeah so just know that things were nuts and we were thinking about you our loving audience and top tier vip patrons who we respect and honor above all i'm just kidding um but yeah so um patreons are Patrons are daddy now? Is that how that <laughs> Patrons are daddy. <laughs> Zendaya is Michi. No. Um, so, Woo, uh, we're back. We're back. So yeah, um, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, you can tune in on all of your regular podcatching apps and the iTunes podcast store. <laughs> that's what that's called. Yep. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at LTRFIPod. You can email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com if you are interested in a guest spot or have something to say to us that can't be condensed into 280 characters. You, if you would love to ascend in the ranks and get that sweet, sweet personal shout out and or other rewards, depending on which tier you choose, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash ltrfipod. 
and give us money, which you are not obligated to do. We will always produce this podcast for free. But if you do it, we appreciate it. Thank it, you so much. It can much. go a long way. And um, that money will directly go towards like us doing cool stuff. Yes. For the podcast. It's just hanging out there right now. We're just saving it up. So get in while the getting's good. <laughs> The before, getting is always good. Before uh, we become so famous that we can't read patron names out loud on episodes anymore, which will definitely happen five years into our podcast. Um, I think that's pretty much it. The next movie that we will be doing was picked by our lovely friend, Landon DeFever. It is Happiness by Ted Salons. I've never seen that, so definitely interested to dive into that. We will record that in two weeks. <laughs> Which I don't know when this will be posted, so that means nothing to you, but it will be posted by the end of the month as our November episode. So, until Kayla, podcast good, podcast good, movies good, movies still generally good, yeah. Friends also good, yeah. Um, patrons good, Ben good, Ben good, engagement okay. good, mm. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, until next time, I guess, um, Halloween is a year round <laughs> mood, yeah. Halloween is forever. And Joker exists. Halloween never dies, but you will? Yes. <sighs> Good, strong ending. Halloween never dies, but the rest of us will. Yes. Probably Thanks. sooner than we expect. Thanks, guys. Love you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Snowflake number 10, come on, we're fishing worried about. They're all dead already, okay? Salmon? Come on. <laughs> a salmon, really. I got all of this shrimp oh, and all right. these oysters. I go out, you I crawl. Salmon. Crawl to the bottom of the ocean on my hands and knees. Grit your <laughs> big fat white bass, and you want come in here wanting a salmon. Jesus Christ. Is this some fucking health shit? Have you looked at the endangered list? Salmon, number one on the list. Salmon, big fish salmon. The bears are eating every single one of them. Bears are cutting the salmon population in half. Half. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Fucking bears, every time. Standing on the edge of the waterfall like a bunch of fucking animals. Christ. Don't even get me started on those fucking baby bears. The cubs running across the street like they own the fucking place. Christ. They eat 30 to 40 salmon a day. 30 to 40 a day. Fuck. Jesus Christ, how many salmon does one person need? I can't even get 10 behind the counter here. Christ. It costs $37 in shipping to get these salmon across the lake. Did you know that? $37. Fuck. I'm a hard-working small business owner. I don't know how the fuck I'm supposed to get $37 just for shipping. Fucking hell. What, are you putting them in a fucking blanket on the way over here? They get their own Airbnb. Oh, shit, you guys. I need my Dunkachino stack. Fuck. A Dunkachino and a half-baked Boston. Boston cream. Don't even. latte. Oh, No, not latte. Dairy fucks with my stomach. You should know that by now. I thought we'd been friends for long enough. They got almond milk now. Oh, my God. I love almond milk. Almond milk. It's a good... For vegans and for the lactose you know, intolerant. I don't give a fuck about the vegans, honey. You should know that by now. Vegans are nothing but garbage, okay? Vegans, <laughs> vegans are what make the world flat, okay? Like the earth is flat, no doubt about that. Thirty-seven dollars salmon. Vegans are what make the world flat.
So just yeah, like just two and a half. Hey, if you pee your pants in the lift, I'll pee out the window. We should just start doing like a.